This is the user experience Hamburger Radio. Thanks for listening. takes about four hours to drive across. So it's up in the north, huge area. Uh, very um, dominant on its market, about 70% of the households reads this brand. So it's in its little, it's a small newspaper. It has about, uh, I think, 60,000 readers in print and maybe 90,000 on the web. So it's not a big paper, but very dominant in its reading, which is important for our new tell you later. Um, now, um, in this context where we, uh, we have been negative, we have no relationship, we know that we cannot, and also we have lost the information monopoly position. We used to have, we were the only ones who could take reality and package it and send it to you. And we decided what was important and what was not. We were like priests saying, here, we will preach to you what's, what's good and what's not. Today, with the digital revolution, that's gone. But this kind of keep on working in the, in the old ways. And when you do that, uh, this is what you get, and the distance is just getting worse. So I was thinking when I got that position, I was thinking, what can I do to, I mean, that was my job to see that this business must survive. What can I do about it? So I was thinking, okay, um, algorithms and aggregators and all that, they will become better than my editors at sifting, at filtering, at curating the material. So what can we do to beat that? Well, we can't beat it with speed or accuracy because the algorithms and the aggregators will be better eventually than we are. So we can only beat it actually at relationship and closeness. We are a community newspaper, we're right in the middle of the community, we, we, we could be something else, then see ourselves as just information relay point, which we are no longer, because crowd is a better information relayer than we are. We can see Twitter is always beating the hell out of all traditional media, so forget about that. What can we do instead? So I was thinking, we must start working on a relationship where you never question. You know. If you sit like that on top of a, a business running at many millions and, and owners are very worried, like, how can we make this business survive? I said to myself, if somebody asks themselves, do I need this paper? The day when you ask that question, there will come up a day when they will say, no, I don't need it anymore. Huh? It's pretty soon. I would say it's happening now in certain areas, in certain markets. Uh, so I was thinking to myself, how can we stop that question from arising? Is there any relationship in your life, in my life, where I never ask myself, uh, when I have a question, the existence of that thing in my life. So first I was thinking, okay, it's, that's, it's a partner. It's the person I choose to live with. But now I'm in an age in life where a lot of my friends are severely criticizing their partner cho choices. So I said to myself, no, it must be something else. So I came up with, actually, friends and family. Because if, if, if a mother or a sister or whatever phones, you don't go, oh, well, she's not really generous, is she? You know, it's always me paying when we have to go out and have a drink. Or, or she was also complaining, uh, you know, why should I keep that sister, you know, and get out, go out there and find a new one. You don't do that. You don't question. So to build that kind of relationship, I think we need to add into the media business a relationship building built on comfort and support and love and things like that. And these are values, I would say, we ne <coughs> never had them in the business. Or we do if you start digging, but we never thought about it. Um, so how can you do this? Well, we started a process where we actually took a new vision, and this was in 2009, and we decided that the new role would no longer be, the old one was something like, uh, we, uh, we are supposed to be top news leader at local news and sports and entertainment or something like that. Uh, the new one was this, that we connect people and ideas and that we're going to strengthen the region. 
Uh, and that was very questioned at the time. Uh, professors of journalism were on to me saying, well, you're, you know, you're running journalism down. Nobody will believe you anymore if you're going to start helping the mayor or what. What is this? What does it mean, strengthening the region? But I just felt this is what the community is all about. You want to live somewhere. You want to be successful. You want your kids to be able to stay and be successful, have a job, uh, not have an, uh, ecological catastrophes in your backyard. Uh, you want to have a good region. Uh, and that's not something that's... I would say that's something that local media has always done, but they've never been open about it. So we, to the transparency again. We've been doing that, but we haven't talked about it. We haven't said, this is our position. So I don't find it so controversial, but we started working with that, and uh, we ended up doing very, uh, a tremendous amount of different things. A lot of things also not in digital platforms, but also in, the, in, in reality, because I believe that the more digital we become, we also have to, paradoxically, we have to become more analog, we have to be more visible in the real world. So one thing we did was we realized that there's segregation in this town. There's a river running through it. We had all the new newcomers, the immigrants living on one side and all the Swedish on the other side. So uh, this girl, she's called Suha Husband. She's a Christian girl from Palestine. She arrived in this town. And she wanted, she didn't feel that integration or segregation and things like that was something happening somewhere else. She was like, I want to be integrated. So she came in there and she was like, okay, what does people do here? Now, this town north of Sweden, big rivers, you know, hunting, fishing, everybody sports fishing. So she goes, I'm going to teach how, I'm going to learn how to sports fish. So she enters the sports fishing club, and she learns how to do sports fishing. Now she comes to me, and she says, okay, I learned fishing now, and there's something else I can do to, uh, to integrate, to do what you Swedes do. I can learn how to skate. So uh, where's the handbook? Which handbook should I buy? And I was like, well... I don't think you learn skating by reading a book. You know, you have to exercise. But when I told her that, I was like, there's no way she could go. Because our town, we are, proud to say, uh, gold in Swedish hockey league. So all the arenas are for the professional teams. There's like no training times for any amateur. So we decided, so I phoned the guy. When I understood that, I was like, okay, I phoned the sports, the sports boss of the hockey team, which is now the gold medalist of Sweden. And I said to him, listen, we need to borrow the arena for one day. I want your top skaters in your team to teach skating to immigrants. Uh, and we had like hot chocolate and buns and there was lots of people arriving that we had never met because they don't read our newspaper because they don't understand Swedish that well. So suddenly there was a bond created and, and we had so much fun. I, I ended up falling to the great happiness of everybody <laughs> saw it, but it was, it was great fun. Is that something that a newspaper should do? Well, uh, it, I think it's, it's what we've always done. We always wanted to have integration. We wrote about it in black text on white paper. Uh, now we, we act it out in the analog world. So this is a little scene from the, my old hometown. Uh, I'm not ironic when I say the square of opportunities because that's actually the name of the square. Uh, you can tell there's lots of opportunities there. There's not a lot of things happening. Um, actually, this thing was really irritating a lot of people. So we had, I don't know how many kilometers of articles written about from people writing letters to the editor saying, why is nothing happening? Uh, it's so boring, it's so ugly, and you know, why should we have a town like this? And everybody's always putting the blame on someone else. It was someone else who was supposed to do something about the town square. So we decided again not to just sit around, because I felt this was also hurting our brand, because this discussion was just negative and it was in the newspaper every day. And I felt, do we want to be a platform for complaints? No. So we want to be, 
tricking people. We said we wanted to strengthen the region. How can we do that? Well, we trigger people to, to show them you can do things. So to the left there, that's Karina, and to the right, in, I'm in the middle, to the right is Jonas. They got three months. Both of them are journalists working in at the news desk. They got three months to organize a Christmas market that we gave away to our audience as a Christmas present on the year when we turned 100, because we said, you're not supposed to give us presents. We should give you, because you've been loyal to us for 100 years. Big Christmas market, there was reindeers, there were Christmas music, there was bonfires, it was minus 20, but we were there next to the fire. It was great fun. People just loved it. It was amazing. It was just pouring uh, gratitude towards me. I couldn't walk, I mean, it's a place where I was a pretty public person, so I couldn't walk downtown. Everybody's like, oh, Annette, this is fantastic. In August, they start asking me, will we have a Christmas market the next year again? You know, the pride, the, the feeling of your hometown, to walk across the city square and feel, I'm proud of living here. It's a nice place to be, instead of feeling, why am I staying here? I could be in the big towns, you know, where they have nice things. So, creating joy, creating pride. Why? Why couldn't we do that? Um, on the 13th of December the same year, we did uh, another event. In a, it's in a church. It's, uh, we're actually celebrating the Italian saint of Santa Lucia, which is uh, it's a martyr's history. I don't know if you know the story. Yeah, you know the story. So it's a martyr history. Uh, we celebrate it by uh, doing some uh, singing, and, and uh, there's a girl that's always uh, voted uh, Lucia, and she wears lights in her hair and things like that. Usually everybody wears white. But now this was... Three months after Sweden had uh, a, a xenophobic party enter the parliament for the first time. So we had kind of felt for a long time, what can we do about this? We want to say something about this, but what can we do? So I, we sided with the church of Sweden and with the Lions Club, which were, we were doing the St. Lucia competition, which is a singing competition every year. And there's this dome-like church by the river. <coughs> can you imagine a big 18th century church, enormous, white, and it's winter, and it's 1,000 people inside and you close the lights. So they're sitting down in the darkness and they're waiting for the girls coming in to sing. And they came in and they were wearing different, different colors. So they were like multicultural, uh, showing multiculturalism in their, in their act actually. And people were, and I gave a, a, an appeal and the priest gave a, a kind of, uh, how do you call it when a priest preaches? She, she was preaching on, on the acceptance of differences, on, on tolerance, on, on humanity, on, on all these things. And people were crying. I, I, I assure you, I, when the thing was finished, a lot of people came up to me and they were crying. And this, uh, we used to write this on op-ed pages. You know, we used to write, we like, uh, we don't like uh, uh, racism, we like inclusion, da, da, da. we used to write that. This is the op-ed page gone live. This is, a, and it's a way for the community to participate in that, not to have just to read, passively read a text that somebody else formulated, but actually, I was there. I was part of that manifestation. And then you add something of you inside. So you have been part of this, and that's very strong. The girl in orange, she's actually bartending at one of the, uh, the restaurants in that town. And the other day when I was up lunching there, she came up to me and she said, Annette, that thing we did, you know, I'm thinking often about it, and I'm so proud I was part of it. So. That's a, a new type of relationship to build with an audience, and it's, it's possible. We changed the name to the nickname that the audience had, uh, always called us Noran. Before we were Norra Westbotten, which means a region. And, and I felt, well, there's no geography really in the digital world, so why should we be calling ourselves a geographical place when half of our readers are somewhere else? 
and, and so and also the nickname that they decide what we're supposed to be called. So I wrote on the front page the day when we changed the name. I said we give up. <laughs> we, 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 you have said this for so long. Now let's be that. You know what you said. <laughs> okay. So then this is what Carolyn was talking about. Then we actually came even further with this, and we decided why should we even sit inside the new media house and just you know cook the stories on our own when we can actually open the, the doors to the outside. So we open. A, a, a live chat room, it's, it's looking like this in the first generation in 2009, with a status uh, line that fed out in social media like Twitter and Facebook, and with a, a, with a list, the job list, open, saying this is what we're working on, in order for people to be able to join in. Now, when I, when I first came up with this idea, the staff was like, Annette, how it's going to be when, if, I mean, the competition is just going to take all good stories. You know, this is not a good idea. <laughs> and I was like, well, if they sit like this on our front page the entire day at the other newspaper, we have already won because they're not doing journalism. So, and if we get help of the entire community in our stories, we're going to beat them anyway. So we, we did this. Uh, I would say that this, this thing is pretty, it's working very well. The fact that uh, not thinking that our platform is where people come. This is also the old ways to think that Media House has all the news. People come to us. They're not at us. News is 2.6% of time, according to Nielsen. Uh, if you look at time on the internet spent on, 60% uh, or more is social media. So they're not on our platforms anymore. So if we do that instead, and this thing goes on Facebook, they can, where they are, they are on Facebook. They're on Facebook and they can see suddenly an interesting story pass by. Ah, Lauren has something interesting. And they come to us. So that was really, it, it showed us, um, it showed us um, huge increases in uh, Facebook referral rates. So it worked. Why, why show the job list? Well, uh, anybody have children in here, small children? Yeah. So you, you say sometimes they, they want to draw. They want to draw, and, and they go, what shall I draw? You know, they don't know. They're sitting with the white paper and lots of colors, and they have no idea. And then you say, well, draw a bird. And when you give them some kind of framework, they start drawing the bird. So this is in a way to say, this is what we would like you to circle your creativity around. Because if you just say, like many newspapers today do, help us with the news. Have you seen or heard anything? Everybody's like, yeah, I heard lots of things, you know. But to understand what the news desk wants, what is news, it's not obvious to everyone. So that was a way of saying, this is what we have on our agenda. You can add things, you can withtrack things, but you can also help us improve these stories that we're working on. Um, okay, we've gone through those. Um, so what happened? Uh, we increased intake uh, quality by the fact that they are always there when something's happening. We cannot be. Even though, okay, everybody's complaining, newsrooms are getting slimmer, there's no journalists. I said, even if I would have double, triple the amount of journalists, they would never be exactly where things are happening. But they are. There's always somebody out there that's always at the scene of something happening. So using their eyes, their ears, their cameras, it's helping intake. So it's making us much, uh, much stronger in, in not missing things. So here's a guy who says, uh, who asked about, well, it actually started with this. So he says, I saw the blue light kind of thing, what happened? They drove very fast past some blithe little school children. So it's actually a double question. He says, A, there's something happening on this road. B, how fast can they drive? And, and can they be, you know, is there a problem here with the police who drives dangerously? 
So our criminal reporter goes in and he, he checked this uh, event and he says, well, there was some damaged animal. They had hit a game, some uh, deer or something, on the road. So it was not, nothing, nothing that would have hit the newspaper. In, in print, we would never have written that story because it's not interesting enough that somebody hit an animal. But, but he could talk to him, he could give him the answer, and he could say also that there's different uh, levels of uh, emergency things for, for police, so what, they, what are the rules? So suddenly, what did he do? He gave relevant individual response. Keeping the, the node, the feeling of that the media house is the center of information, knowing things. Another thing that happened was one day we didn't have uh, drink, the drinking water was suddenly uh, something wrong with it. Everybody became ill. I mean, the whole town became really, really ill. And mayor's office went out saying, stop drinking the tap water. We know it's a tap water. We don't know where it comes from, but you can't drink it anymore. You must boil it. And this was Sweden. I mean, in Africa, this happens all the time, or it's always like that. But in Sweden, it's very rare. So people were kind of distraught. And uh, it went on and on for months. And they did surveys. They sent out surveys saying, where did you eat? Which coffee shop did you go to, etc." And uh, they couldn't find the source of this. It was some kind of parasite in the water. I couldn't find the source. So one evening, I see two guys, young guys, 18-year-olds. They put up a simple Google map on their homepage. And they said, um, put a little flag where you live and if you're ill. And, but they, nobody goes to their page. So I was like, so I phoned them off and I said, well, couldn't we use that map? It's a brilliant idea and just link it to, the, to our big page where we have all the traffic. And they agreed and we did a big story on them and their initiative and how smart they were. And suddenly <laughs> the map part came like this. And you could instantly see that it was a water plant in the center of town because everybody was ill. We're living just around that water plant. So now that's wisdom of the crowd. That's something that the mayor couldn't find out by himself. And it was the digital platform that made it possible. And the idea, of course, of doing it hard with the traffic where everybody is also. You can't, all these things have to work, but it did. And, and they got away with it. Uh, but now, during that water period, you can imagine when newsroom have been doing 600, maybe 800 stories on the water. At the end, they're like, I'm not writing one more story on the water. But then, crowd, they are still boiling their water and they're still wondering why nothing is happening. So here's one guy saying, I have a little uh, thought about the parasite. The, the mayor's survey is only around the period from the 1st of April and onwards. But most people I know went ill already in March. So he's like thinking for us on questions that we have missed. So it's not only, I mean, sometimes we can't tend to say, well, people can help us taking pictures. No, they can think. They have experiences. They have knowledge. They can help us forward stories, and, and it's not only journalists anymore. So more ideas come into the newsroom when we speak to the crowd and when we let them work with us. And another thing, they said to me, Annette, this is going to be the end, of, because we are so slimmed, we have no time to do another task. We have to do multi-journalism and web publishing and mobile publishing and moving pictures, and we don't have time. Another thing, forget it. What happened was, that, for instance, when we look for cases, very often when we do stories, we want somebody to portray this problem. You know, we need a, uh, I don't know, a kindergarten fees are going up, so we need a mom who kind of portrays the problem. Those things, to find these cases, they take tremendous amount of time for journalists. With this, it went very quickly. You just go, we need a mom with a kid in three years in this school, and bam, you always get names quickly. People go, oh, I know one, you can phone Helen, here's the number, you know? So that was very efficient. And here, 
They also, there's a guy who says, well, this doesn't work. It's a link, it doesn't work. And another person in the chat says, no, it's you. You don't have a plug-in. Here, you can download Flower Player here. And it gives the link. So they help each other also. Getting us off the ground to support IT, non-IT content people out there, which, which we tend, tend to do uh, earlier. Um, so finally, just to finalize that, the, this, this case, uh, very important, I think, we had read about it. We asked people who participated, do you want to be credited for this? Do you want to have your name or your picture in the newspaper? And, and so we had, a, this is the normal reporter byline here, and this is what it says, reader byline, and it says, so, well, this, this story is built on an, an idea or a tip from the signature, da, da, da. So it can even be uh, several, where it says uh, the, pay the person here we got into contact with through this person. This photo was taken by. Could be a lot of people on that list. Very important. You give ideas to somebody and you never acknowledge, you stop giving ideas. So, and then we had also contests where we gave away an iPhone every month to the best, to the best participatory uh, action taken. So, uh, this long case story to say that I believe, and I'm 100% sure, that newspapers have to change their identity, their way they see, they look upon themselves towards community. Uh, they're no longer above or ahead. They're, they have a special role. I'm not saying everyone is a journalist, but we are kind of on the same level, and we should work with the community. It's the only way of, of um, uh, moving ahead. Um, the, the, the last thing I did at the newspaper was create something that I called Northern Media Lab. Uh, and that was an idea to actually open open uh, innovation uh, on, the new, on the business model towards the community. Is the things out there, is the people out there that can help us figure on how we can survive? Or, and even, what we had in that was young media knowledgeable people um, who want to have a foot into the media house. They want to write stories, they want to learn what we know. Uh, we need their energy, we need their thoughts on how we should move ahead. Uh, so, so that was an idea, and I think th that idea actually is um, that the knowledge that we have, on, for instance, on consequence of publishing. Today, everyone is a mass publisher. Before, we used to say it, it, the freedom of the press is only for those who own a press, because that was the only way of getting your stories out. Now, anybody who has a Facebook account is a potential mass media, but we don't, those most people don't have the knowledge on the consequences of publication. And uh, that became blatantly obvious to me the evening of the Boston Marathon tragedy. I was at my home in Stockholm, and I saw the first tweets on this, uh, on that there was probably some kind of bombing in, uh, at the marathon. And suddenly, it just explodes. And the crowd there, because there's lots of people there, they start taking pictures. And we have pictures of limbs, we have pictures of dead bodies, we have pictures of uh, people in shock are just tweeting everything they see as a kind of, and this is, an, you know, it's, it's a way of also, of course, handling the situation because you're in shock. Or some people maybe don't even see the reality in it, they feel it's surreal and they, I am here and something's happening. I ended up sitting the entire night tweeting to them saying, would you like to meet your mother's death by a tweet that somebody showed of her dead body? Think a little bit before you publish. These are the things that the media houses, the publishers, the knowledge that we do, they want to etiquette us that you're news a source and you're dying. There's things that we know that we can teach, but I don't think we should just keep it for ourselves. And you know, But, but uh, we really need to tell people there is knowledge in, the, in this business model, there's knowledge in this business that mustn't die even though printed paper might die. 
We must bring this with us into the digital platforms. We must teach the crowd. We must move this knowledge from the small number of elite, the publishers used to have it, to everyone because you, you all have now the possibility of publishing and then you need to have the same knowledge and experience that, that this business have, have gathered for hundreds of years. Um, Interactive visualization system. It enables museum and science center visitors to interact and explore real subjects scanned using CT and MRI technology. Inside Explorer is based on powerful interactive visualization hardware and real-time volume rendering software that unlocks the power of discovery for museum visitors and museum curators alike. So you can look inside objects. This is 3D visualization on a gigantic iPad. Inside Explorer where you can is actually today go. used at museums and science centers around the world, allowing visitors to explore everything from mummies to Martian meteorites. This is it's called the visual autopsy table where you can actually cut a, a body and look inside. It's amazing. It is easy to use and requires no training or special knowledge. By using intuitive multi-touch gestures alone, the users can investigate complex subjects that have been scanned using CT and MRI scanners. So they scanned one of the mummies in British museums, and they found out that it had been stabbed, which they didn't know before. But because they cut it open, they could see that there was a Visitors stabbing wound. Visitors away lens, rotate, zoom, and cut through subjects and reveal hidden interior details. Anything that can be scanned can be visualized, explored, and used as the basis for an interactive, authentic user experience. By, this is this tool was created by the researchers that I uh, in the company or it's on company institute that I am CEO for now. Um, it's um, uh, they say groundbreaking user experience, but it, to me it's it's more than that. It's moving again. It's the same as I was talking about earlier. It's moving the the knowledge that was before with the elite. This kind of knowledge would be with the X-ray doctors, for instance, maybe before, and we had to go to them and say. Please tell me how my body looks like inside. You know? This, when it's going to ameliorate, will give you the power of actually checking these things yourself. And in this, this case, it was on a mummy because the radiation, uh, radiation uh, levels are so high still that we can't do it on live bodies yet, but they're working on it. And of course, technology will arrive to the point where we will be able to. Um, so. We have also the, the, yeah, there's a version of this which is called Urban Explorer, which is uh, the town, so you can actually add. So if, ge if internet uh, actually erased geography, because we could communicate across borders, I would say that these tools where you can actually put digital, um, uh, I can say dig digital uh, uh, matrices on analog pictures or, or reality, if you're looking through, for instance, through the window here, and I will see in augmented reality, I will see digital layers. Uh, this erases time. 
Because if I would stand here now and I would have a binocular and I could watch a digital layer of this view in the 16th century, I could actually see into the past. Where if I could put a prognostics on how it will look like by using Hamburg mayor's office, uh, this is how we're going to build new skyscrapers in 2030, I would be able to watch the future. So it erases time. So augmented reality to me is a fantastic learning tool. Uh, amazing, actually. So to finish uh, up this, because where I see we're running out of time, uh, I actually think that the media will survive if we stop thinking that we are in uh, our identity is no longer media relay, information relay centers. We are not. We are in the building a better world business. We are helping uh, sustain. Um, I would say there's different things of it. We are cleaning society from from corruption, from mismanagement. But we're also spreading a lot of knowledge. We're making different arguments meet. On the internet, you can choose to speak only to the ones who have the same opinion as you. That's dangerous for democracy. We need to forge ourselves and others to meet different arguments, different ways of seeing reality. Uh, these are the things that the traditional media does. And I don't see it appear, I'm sorry, in the disruptive digital. Uh, but I think we could, we could merge them. I think the, the moving ahead is merging. And I think the media will survive if they can actually understand that they're not information relayers, but better world builders. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I just learned that the E is silent. <coughs> is that right? Annette. As you said, yes, Annette. Yeah, Annette. Uh -huh. In Germany, it would be Annette. That's, um, uh -huh. So I spelled your name wrong. That's I'm sorry. Um, okay, so there is a 50-minute break on the program, but if you're staying for the panel, anyways, uh, we can. Uh, well, while we're waiting for the panel to um, to be no, every, everyone's here, but you can get in some questions if you still have some. Um, maybe some of it we can talk about on the panel anyways, but if you have any questions for Annette, get it out there. Or just thoughts. Or thoughts. <laughs> um, yes to anything you said, so thank you very much. Though I have a question uh, regarding your Boston case, um, is it... Uh, did, did you get any responses from the people you tried to, to teach from this perspective? Yeah, very strong response. Um, or was it more a desperate but honorable approach to say, hello, there's a different point of view and not sharing anything that's possible to record with your iPhones? Uh, I, I wanted to make them aware that they uh, were hurting. I don't think they realized that they were hurting. Uh, um, the, the response was massive. I've never had so much response to anything I've tweeted. Uh, I gathered all those in a, in a blog post also during the night so that you could also, all the, actually I used the, you know we have ethical guidelines, journalists have ethical guidelines. So I used the ethical guidelines and I kind of showed how many points they had broken during that evening and I wrote a little thing on it. So it's, it's also kind of opening again the knowledge of what, is it, this is what we have been working on. But you guys, you kind of you, you do, you're doing our job now, but you don't know the rules. So it was a, a kind of desperate way from my own, I think, to just stop this thing. There was a massacre going on in a way uh, on on the I would say on the families and on the friends of those who were hurt, even the ones who maybe not were hurt, but who had people there who were scared for them. I mean, you see a foot and you're like, oh, is it his? You know, I mean, this thing it was it was very damning. So, but I think they understood the, uh, my my wish to just teach. Uh, and, and, uh, but I think that's domain is 
It's, it's, up, it's there for grabs, and I, I don't see anybody taking that position, saying, well, we will teach you. It's, it's a market. It's strange, because I think it's a huge market. Because there's always, um, at least in Germany, that is something we actually we talked about how, um, earlier we talked about how um, Germany is still a bit different when it comes to the whole, how the digital world is accepted <laughs> and how journalism um, doesn't quite get it yet. So what you said, one of the first things actually about um, online versus offline, to put that in like two words, um, that is something that I think... Um, especially when it comes to the teaching thing you just said, the media industry is still so afraid, is still so um, so much thinking of um, the audience as competition rather than integrating them. Or as, as amateurs. We are better. This is how they, they see it. So do, do you think um, there's, there's a way for, um, for media, other than waiting another 20 years, um, to bridge that digital... There's, there's no way to, they waited long enough. I think we're going to see printed newspapers die. Um, I mean, like in the US, but it's coming to Europe now. And, and I'm sure Germany has had their cases already, isn't it? Yeah, so it's coming now because they haven't moved fast enough. So I just want to ask, is anybody in here, have you published something in, in social media or somewhere that you regret or that you got reactions to that you felt that, oh, I didn't think about that this would be perceived this way? Have that happened to you? Nobody. It was just a tweet. <laughs> Seriously, you're all that wise? Because <laughs> that's that's rare. But but probably you're you're more knowledgeable than the average. Because when you usually when I ask that question, a lot of people are like, oh yes, I did this, and I didn't think about that. This person would interpret it this way, and I had to take it away. And uh, you yourself have probably had a I've, case like that. Absolutely, and I've um, I would say that I had at least two or three uh, a month with my reporters when I was editor in chief because. They would use social media platforms privately, they say. I say, well, you're a reporter, everybody in town know you're a reporter, and they can't distinguish what you've done during your work hours or not. And one of them, for instance, he, he wrote uh, a tweet, or he, he linked to a page which was um, anti-gay, and one of his best friends is homosexual. So everybody who knows him knows that that was ironic kind of thing. But I, I said to him, I said, you have to take that down, you know, because they will think that the newspaper is you know, uh, trying to discriminate uh, persons, uh, non-heterosexual persons. And, and he was like, well, that's my friend. Everybody knows he's my best friend. And I was like, no, everybody doesn't know. How will it be perceived, you know? And it's the same thing with, with uh, you have two close relationships with, with politicians in Twitter. You write things uh, privately to them. How will it be perceived? Will you be perceived as neutral after that? I'm not sure, you know? So it's important to think about your, your kind of image, you know? Uh, and that's something that we've been handling for, but I don't think everybody has. Well, I have another question regarding um, the community. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it later, but do you think your solution would also work for the bigger ones? Like, I don't know, in Sweden it might be Aftonsblad or something like that. I don't know. And in German, maybe um, Süddeutsche, Spiegel, yeah. Washington Post, whatever. Mm. And um, do you think it would work? I uh, think about the bigger, the global topics such mm. as uh, Syria or something like that. To really have um, It's a good question. Uh, I know Jan Helin, who is the publisher of Aftonblad, I know him, and he, he actually said to me once when we were doing this, he's like, it's so easy for you because you're so small, you know, I wish I could do that. Uh, but but Guardian has Guardian caught on pretty quickly. I think in 2011 they started their Open Guardian uh, project, which was uh, inspired by uh, uh, Noran's uh, initiative. 
and uh, they moved that so much ahead now with, with uh, uh, open collaborative journalism around uh, investigative journalism. They have their app, uh, eyewitness app now, which means that you can just you know very quickly send in pictures or things that you just you, you catch up there. Uh, so the, I think the news. Yes, I think everybody could uh, everybody could benefit. I, I agree with you that it's of course a bigger challenge technically to deal with the masses of information you will get when you're a bigger brand and have a bigger traffic. Aftermod has about three million in a month, so for sure. But Guardian, what they do, they have appointed people who um, they check, they sift through IP numbers because they realize that, for instance, what is trending in Calcutta, where they have a lot of readers, is not the same thing as in London. So if you start doing that and actually start realizing that here we have a debate on this coming from these, this source traffic and you can actually divide it, I think you can get it down to levels where uh, where it's handleable. Uh, it's amazing though, the researchers, they know when you do this, you have this pyramid of 1%, 9%, 90%. 1% will create something. 9% will criticize or enhance what you did. And 90% will be passively just consuming. It's like a sports field. There's not so many running down there. Yeah, well, people it's, in the it's stands. a very common model. This is it. So, so you mustn't be scared also that when you do this, it's going to be like <sighs> too much. Because it's not that much. No. But it's important that the possibility is there. Have German local newspapers invited you to present your case to them? Uh, I haven't been that much in Germany. Uh, I spoke uh, at, here uh, last year at the Newsroom Summit. And there was German publishers there. I will speak in Berlin in a month's time, but I've been very little in Germany, actually. Yeah, we have been running a, a, something together with the Spiegel about the future of the newspaper. They was running for four months, roughly, on, on Spiegel, so they just sent in. They wanted to know from all the readers, how do you see the future of, mm -hmm. of local journalism? Mm -hmm. And we built an app out of the whole feedback and concept. Nice. And it's funny how many local newspapers got in touch with the Spiegel and us as well. And they don't have anything in the pipeline. They're just sitting there and do nothing. And they it's just scary. think, okay, it's still okay. So we lose some numbers, but we still have, okay, our margin is still okay so far. But they just don't do anything, most of them. That's kind of surprising. That's frightening. It's frightening because you know that that road is just going straight into the mountain at one point or the other. At one end, you say, take any exit from that motorway, yeah. anyone, because the other, the other one is going towards the, 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 the mountainside. And they're just discussing, okay, we have to raise a paywall that will save us and that I will know. bring in the... I know. Yeah. Have you seen any results? Were you able to stop the decline of the printed version or was it increasing? Or? The printed version is, I think it's, it's uh, that's structural. People don't like print uh, because it's slower, because it's, uh, it's expensive, because it's tedious to go with it to the recycling station and all that. It's much better to have live updates in a <coughs> platform. So I don't think we should even try and look at the printed uh, circulation rates. Uh, very often the owners of companies where I work, they come and they say, you know, how oh, editor, how is the circulation doing? And I say to them, wrong question, I don't care. That's not the question you should ask. You should ask me, how many innovations have you launched this year? How many of those became, gave you new digital income that you didn't have before? But your editor will look at the bottom line. So if yeah. you lose on the left, were you able to raise on the right? Or is it just saying, okay, digital people are not After going to After which we mentioned, is the company, I think, was first uh, to actually make more money digitally than, and it was in May last year, that they turned, they flipped. They have now more money coming in on digital uh, things. But it's not, it's not the dual uh, revenue model anymore. It's 
It's many different things. They do. They have a paywall since a very long time. They call it Afternoon Plus. Plus. Uh, they have tomorrow? No, 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 after, after yeah, yeah, yeah. so which is very big. Yeah. They have they have weight weight clubs, they have sleep clubs, they have they have I would say they have a ten or fifteen different uh, revenue streams now. So they're smaller. The cake is set there, but every revenue stream is smaller than it used to be when you had like this big advertising and big uh, private subscri subscri subscriptions. Uh, so I don't think we're going back there. I think we go we have to work innovatively to, to find new revenue streams. How were you making money with the Noren? Um, just with advertising? or did you have We actually, um, when I came in, we had lost the entire uh, real estate <coughs> and uh, motor segment, which uh, translated to 25% of our revenue. So we had to sack a lot of people, and we, had, we lost a lot. With this, with this kind of move that we did, with the community, strengthening community, and working with the community, we got them all back. So we raised the revenue back to the, to the original, and some of the major players that share the idea of we want to strengthen the community, like the mayor's office, they doubled their advertising budget with us. But we did a lot of investigative journalism at the time, also very harsh investigative journalism towards the mayor's office. So even though we were doing that, they still doubled their advertising budget because they couldn't afford not to be partnering with us when we were doing this. So, so we were we were doing well. We were doing really good numbers at the end of my last year. Uh, I, I think it was maybe 10, 11 percent. Uh. I really hate this part of the job where I need to <laughs> cut you off. Um, but actually, uh, the people are arriving for the panel. So I think we're going to switch this here. Thank you for the talk. This is the user experience Gander Radio. Thanks for listening. Visit uxhh-radio.blogspot.de for more live recordings.